I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. Welcome to a special podcast-only edition of the Dinner Party Download. We are honored you chose to bring our voices along on your commute or your gym workout, your Sunday chores. Or for using us to tune out your parents, who at this moment are shouting at you to take off the headphones yeah. and act like you're part of the family, for God's sake. That's right. For once. We're very happy to be with you, that weird spat. And this week... We've got something a little different prepared. Actually. That's right. So we have this radio show, and our listeners on the radio show are going to hear a rerun episode uh, this week. But for you special podcast people, you are nice. we have an all-new series that we're introducing. We're calling Dinner for One. Can you imagine what it is? It features a single, <laughs> almost unedited conversation with an amazing person. And this week, we speak with the comedy and now horror genius... Jordan Peele. It is well worth it. You may know Jordan as half of the comedy duo Key and Peele. Their Comedy Central show produced what we believe to be some of the funniest and most incisive satire of the last many moons, often centering around issues of race. Here is a clip. Jordan and I are, uh, we're biracial. Yes, uh, half black, half white. And because of that, we find ourselves particularly adept at lying. Because on a daily basis, we have to adjust our blackness. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no, there's many reasons we do that. I mean, yeah. to, uh, to terrify white people. Yes, that's one of that's the main one reasons. One of the main reasons. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, with the way that we sound, the way that we actually talk, yeah. we're not intimidating anybody. Oh, no, 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 no. We sound very white. We, we, we sound whiter than uh, the black dude in the college acapella group. Oh, yes. Yeah. We, we sound whiter than Mitt Romney in a snowstorm. <laughs> Jordan's latest project also tackles race head-on, but this time with a completely different tone. Uh It's a horror movie he wrote and directed, and it's called Get Out. And I am not a huge horror fan. That's fine, but I'm not going out of my way for it. But I I like horror movies, but they scare me. That's my problem. That means they're working. Okay. Um, Regardless of whether you're a horror fan or not, this is one of the most entertaining and important movies of the year, I think. It is about a black man named Chris whose white girlfriend takes him home to meet her parents... And though they welcome him into their suburban home with open arms, he slowly starts to suspect something racist and evil is afoot. When we spoke, I welcomed Jordan like this. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Honor to be here. Uh, I just wanted to start by talking about horror in general. What was your first exposure to it? Do you remember like the first, maybe first horror film? First um, exposure to it was was just pieces of it, right? I mean, you're, you're a kid looking at... Uh, video boxes and posters. And uh, I remember distinctly getting really freaked out by the Nightmare on Elm Street poster. Oh, man. That, yes. You know, so surreal and weird and just, you know, real lesson. The first lesson you sort of learn uh, as a horror fan, I think, is that the mystery of what's going on behind this movie, uh, that mystery is the scariest thing of all. So not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what's going to happen. Often the, the idea of a horror movie is scarier than when you actually see the horror movie. <laughs> I would say almost all the time, most of the, the time. And, that, you know, it's for a very human reason. Right. The unknown. We're, we're, we're genetically geared to fear the unknown, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, is a sort of human demon that permeates through this 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 movie that I've made. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I definitely respect mystery as as the best type of fear. But do you remember the first movie that you actually went to see? What, that horror movie that you sort of chose the, to freak yourself out with? You know, the The Shining is, I think, I, I think still, I, I think, undeniable as as probably the best horror film. Certainly, the best ghost story ever told. Um, Alien is a special movie. Oh, yeah. 
Um, that's a true classic. And um, uh, and and I'll go. I'll say uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Um, yeah. The way that and by the way, Nightmare on Elm Street is sort of the the opposite. Especially as the franchise unfolds, the opposite idea of just give them all the gore, give them all the <laughs> horror. It, it creeped me out in a very special way because it did. You know, there was little left to the imagination, and, and Freddy had this Freddy Krueger, the main villain. yeah, this messed up sense of humor that was just like that was particularly uh, psychopathic for me. But um, it's true. Also, the thing about that movie is that there is no escape. You can't even sleep. You yeah. can't. Freddy Krueger kills people in their dreams. So when you go home after you see the movie and you try to go to sleep, that's actually the most vulnerable you could be. Yeah, you know, what a horrible I, thing to do to children. The best <laughs> horror movies hit on some fear that all of us have um, that uh, is relatable. Jaws made the the water scary. <laughs> That's um, true. So it was tricky to do a movie about race that, you know, you, you could say has, you know, people have very different experience of what, what it means, what race means in this country. It's tricky to do that in a way that's inclusive in a way that allows everybody to relate to the main character thoroughly. Well, let's, let's talk about this actually. So one of the things actually that horror is really great at, it's almost expected in a horror movie to take on, taboos or difficult issues and you have and you've taken on racism but you haven't taken on like the classic evil racist it's you've called them liberal elites the people <laughs> that would consider themselves above above racism right why pick that well and why this way you know many of us think we're above racism like we're the one person who has it figured out and i i think that that's part of the problem is that nobody is really willing to look at themselves as you know having our own personal racisms, racisms that we figure out. So the group to me that was more enticing to create this horror movie around was a um, you know group that might provide a false sense of security mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning to this black character and feel like okay you're in. Uh, a, a, you're, you're welcome in this environment. It's this white suburb, this white family that seems totally hip. They're hip. They're into it. They're into the fact that, you know, their uh, their daughter is dating a, a, a black person. Um, and that's like, in, in some ways, it's the anti-guess who's coming to dinner yeah. in that way. It's like the, the creepy part here is that they, they almost don't skip a beat. Meaning? As in, Chris is dreading this moment character. that they first see him and, you know, they haven't been told that their daughter is dating a black man. And, you know, he's dreading the first moment where maybe there's a disappointment or some, you know, little... Yeah, flicker of recognition of, that this is not typical. Right. Like, you know, the the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn roles in, in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, you know, that, that movie was about the idea of... You know, people who are, you know, okay with black people, but not in my family (laughs) when it comes down to it. Well, this is, you know, the creepiness of the absence of a sort of racial acknowledgement at first. So how long has this been going on, this this thing? (laughs) How long? (laughs) Four months. Four months? Mm. Uh, Five months, actually. She's right. I'm wrong. Attaboy. Better get used to saying that. 
that is, you know, almost as unsettling or more in, in this time where there, there's a certain dynamic expected. Maybe the, the real horror is the fact that we're not talking about this, basically, that we're not even acknowledging that there might be these barriers between us as races. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, you know, the film, I, I designed the whole film in the post-racial um, lie America. Obama was president, mm-hmm. and um, it, it felt like there there was a denial of racism as as a problem. It was this feeling like we have a black president, so why perpetuate it by continuing to bring it up? You know, so the the movie is about the neglect of this real horror that you know, many of us know we we've never been past. Mm-hmm. I had an interesting reaction to this movie where I did get, obviously it's a small inkling, but a little bit of an inkling of what it must be like to be a person of color and when you're interacting in a world of people not of color. Mm-hmm. And just the exhaustion of it, first of all, is one of the things that was put across. It just felt exhausting and just kind of scary and not knowing what's going to happen next. Is that just a happy byproduct of the movie that you made, or was that who did you aim this movie at? I guess was it was it aimed at somebody like me, or was it aimed at people that have to go through this every day? It was it was aimed at everybody, but um, aimed at any, everybody. I think through slightly different reasons. For for a black horror movie audience, I wanted to give them the movie they've always wanted, <laughs> and, and, and haven't gotten yeah. the representation of the perspective and 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 skin in that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, for somebody who's who's not black, um, for someone who's not a minority, for someone who may not feel in their day to day basis in touch with the idea, the, the fear of being the other or being, you know, not part of any specific group. Yeah, I think this is what the power of story is. We can use when, when story is entertaining, we, we can use it to step into each other's shoes Right. Sure. You, you have a protagonist like we've got this surrogate that everybody in the theater is seeing through the eyes of Chris. Yeah. And whether so, you're white or black, whether you're white or black, everyone's in it together. There's no I don't think there's a feeling of separation when you're watching the film. No, I will say, though, I saw it in a, a mixed audience. Yeah. It was a preview audience. And it was it was some slightly different responses. <laughs> yes, going on. it was it was remarkable. I mean, the black people in the audience. It's really true. I got this feeling that it was like at last the people were really happy to finally see themselves portrayed in that way. Yeah, you know, I I think that black people are really loyal horror fan base. You know, as you know, and many many minority groups. I think are. Yeah, why do you think that is? Well, there's, a, you know, I think part of it is hor- horror is one of the ways we purge our fears of the real life horrors. Mm-hmm. And when you have an oppressed group, um, you've got more horrors to purge, mm-hmm. I, I think. Mm. I it's, it's interesting. I remember from film school, there was one reading of horror movies that they're always about society versus the other. That's mm. one of the readings of it. Wow. Which is interesting because that's true. You can use a horror movie as a kind of gauge of whatever society is afraid of at that moment. Yeah, interesting. I mean, when you said that, I, I originally thought of the the villains of this movie as being society and the protagonist being the other. Exactly. But it's a flip on that because we're in the point of view of the other in this case. It's not we're not against the other. We're for him. Yeah. It's look. Society is to me the most fascinating monster of all. I, I have mm-hmm. I have a lot of ideas about this this social thriller genre 
that I think Get Out fits into. I think, um, you know, it's it's in the mold of the Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby and what they did with gender. Um, right. What Cronenberg's Fly did with, you know, the allegory for the AIDS epidemic, right. which, of course, is not uh, as directly a, a social thing as it is a, a straight-up murderous virus. But I think <laughs> that... I'm fascinated with this idea that human beings and the way we interact have a darker, deeper series of demons than than we can see in in any other kind of horror movie. I do have to point out that, given the topic of this movie, I'm painfully aware that I'm a white guy talking to a person of color about race. Yeah. You know, people who have seen the movie seem to have this film as, at, at the very least, a new reference point for how to talk about race. I I think part of the issue with our being able to begin to heal um, is is that conversations about race are difficult. And the the way we talk about race is broken. You can just tell by how uncomfortable it is and how how much the the deep emotions of of guilt, of, of anger, that these these horrors arise in people. Mm-hmm. And I think most importantly, racist, you know, the word racist cuts really deep and, and prevents all of us from looking at our own dealings with racism. For fear of being called one. For be, you know. fear of being called one. So I, I, I think that it is correct to feel awkward talking about it the way we, the way, <laughs> the way it is. And, yeah. and I feel like it's, that's, part of the process, part of what we need to get over as a um, society. And so hopefully this this kind of movie that's entertaining, you know, like I said, it's meant to be inclusive. It's meant to give us a less awkward mm. way to talk about it. It's so funny because it's true. It did. I mean, like we're having this conversation, so it worked. Yeah. But like definitely the thing that I would not say about this movie is that it's easy to watch in the sense that it's suspenseful as hell. Like I literally I came out of this movie. I was with my girlfriend. And I was like, you know what? Let's take a walk. It was like 11 p.m. <laughs> I was like, let's walk around the block. Let's get some stuff done. Yeah. And then like by the time we got home, the adrenaline had worn off. It was like, let's not take a walk. Yeah. At all. Right on. Well, it, yeah, it's 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 not easy. And it's. You know, I'm I'm very much utilizing in the movie how uncomfortable these racial situations can get. Yeah. But, you know, I think the most successful device in that that we use in the movie is we we offer these great releases yeah. from that tension. The so humor. the humor, the um, you know, the way the the last act of the movie unfolds <laughs> is very much designed to give the audience yeah. what I've I've uh asked them to be to wait for patiently yes, in no this spoilers. uncomfortable situation. Yeah. But it's, it, let's just say it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, I did want to ask you that about comedy, though. Do you think that there's having the comedy background, do you think that it gave you a leg up in a way that maybe other horror movie directors who don't have that background? You know, did? I can just, I, I know it definitely was huge for me to be able to pull from, you know, the way I look at comedy. And, Which is? um, which, which is that you, you have to be conscious of what an audience is feeling and thinking from moment to moment. Um, you, you don't really have the the freedom to say, well, you know, everybody's going to pull from this moment what they want. No, you want everybody on the exact same page at all times. So there's a certain precision with the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Then also for the tonally, 
both horror and, and comedy, I, I believe, re- require a certain amount of realism, a certain amount of grounding. Um, Which think, is so funny because I don't think that's how anybody thinks of either of them. Yeah, I think a, a horror movie is only as scary as it is realistic. That's why The Exorcist is, is terrifying, yeah. something as well acted as, as, as The Shining. Um, even the, Jaws. Jaws. Even the the um, the found footage phenomenon, mm-hmm. I think, just tapped into... Blair Witch Project. Felt more real somehow than what we'd been used to. Um, the, the, the same consistent comedy for me as well. Even the broadest comedy, it's it's the, the reaction, the, the way we tie comedy to a reality that it, kind of works to me. I mean, my favorite, I, I love, you know, like the, the British office, you know, it, uh, as a style. It makes me squirm and it's, and it just, it could not be more real. It's interesting that you'd say that the comedy and horror work in similar ways. It makes me think of, uh, I'm going to forget their name, League of Gentlemen or League of Ordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Is that uh, British? A, the, the comedy team? Yeah. League of the Extraordinary. League of, uh, well, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a comic, the comic book. book. So this is the League of Gentlemen or yeah. something. Who, you know, who I, I always hear of and I, I haven't partaken. It is the closest. There was a point about four or five episodes into that series where I was like, I don't think this is comedy anymore. I think this <laughs> is a horror wow. show. It's really oh. horrifying. Well, it sounds like my kind of weird thing. Um, we have two questions that we ask everyone okay. on the show. Question number one is, if we meet you at a dinner party, what question should we not ask you? Um, if you meet me at a dinner party, um, you know, at first I would say, don't ask me what I would like to eat, because I might th- think uh, you are the, the wait server. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're a ge- if you're a guest, don't ask I'm, me what you'd a, like to eat. Don't confuse me. I've met a lot of people, and I don't want to be... <laughs> You know, I don't want to make a mistake. Um, I don't know, man. I, I is there something you're asked all the time that you're just like something I'm asked all the with? time? You know, I would say, you know, people ask me why I'm obsessed with race, and really? it, yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't even. It's not even a question that you you can't ask me, but you know, I think w- within the the need to ask that question is also a need to not discuss race mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a fear of that discussion. I feel like the discussion, um, however it happens, if it's a movie, if it's a awkward conversation, if it's, um, you know, a, a TV show, I, I feel like the communication is the only weapon we have against the, the true horrors and violences in the world. So we have to just keep... Keep talking about what we see. Um, our second question is to tell us something we don't know. And this can be about anything, about yourself, a piece of trivia about the world, maybe a piece of yeah, horror trivia. Uh, you don't know. Well, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of... Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Disney fan. Really? Yeah, I love Disney. Growing up, I love Disney movies. The, the amount of precision... Um, that true. that goes into Disney movies is you know one of like the core inspiring ideas for me as an artist. It's like you want to try and get something perfect. Disney is kind of like weird, happy Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the name of a band, too. Happy, happy Kubrick, Kubrick or oh, a uh, what's his name movie, <laughs> uh, an Adam Sandler film maybe. 
Happy uh, Kubrick, wait. I gotta, we gotta, I gotta coin that, because if I can do Happy Kubrick the film, then... Um, I just made you a billion dollars. You made dollars. me a billion dollars. You're welcome. But you're involved. You're a producer. Oh, great. You're, you're in, so... It's on tape, or I'll sue you. We got it. Thank you so much for talking to us, Jordan <laughs> Thank Peele. Thank you. Jordan Peele, his movie Get Out is in theaters right now. And you are just listening to Dinner for One, a new occasional series we'll do where we have an unedited conversation with someone great on our podcast feed. That is correct. And everybody, in a second, we're actually going to play you one last very funny bit from that interview. But first, a word from our sponsors. This summer from Fox Searchlight, a violent man-child hockey player. My puck, baby! Don't you ever touch my puck! Becomes an envelope-pushing auteur who changes cinema forever. Come on, Happy Kubrick, a three-hour space film about the evolution of human consciousness? I'm just not giving you more than a million-dollar budget. Ow, my face! The price is wrong, bitch. Vanity Fair's Richard Lawson calls it unexpected. Oh, God, I felt good, yeah! Jordan Peele's Happy Kubrick. Coming soon to that one weird theater in town that's somehow still in business. <laughs> wow, Jordan, Jordan works fast. Probably not going to be as good as Billy Goddard, though. What's Billy Goddard? It's like Billy Madison, but with Jean-Luc Goddard. Oh, yep. All right. And now, as promised, we're going to leave you with one more piece of my conversation with Jordan Peele. Yes. So most of you guys listening know we usually start our shows with one of our guests telling a joke. Yep. And it's the kind that professional comedians disdainfully call street jokes. <laughs> Here's Rico asking Jordan to tell us one. You're a comedian, so comedians often hate to do this. But mm-hmm. do you have a street joke, just a regular joke that is not dirty? That we, oh, that we start every dirty. show with it. Yeah. Dang, man. It's the hardest dang, question. Dang, dang, dang. Um, you know, so, you know, when when you say street joke, I think of, I think of like, you know, dozens, you know, where we literally on the street, you know, we would insult, insult each other. One of my favorites um, would be, you know, yo mama uh, got one ear talking about how she wants to hear both sides of the story. <laughs> Um, it's, it's pretty surreal. It's pretty surreal. It's, it's kind of yeah. It, it's, <laughs> trying to visualize that, um, that mama. It's, no, it's really stupid. A yo yo mama got one leg um, that's shorter than the other one. They call her hip hop. Um, one more three three three. The rule the of threes. Um, um, <laughs> uh, yo, uh, uh, well, you know, I don't like to about uh, body shame. But, you know, there's the good old classic, you know, Yo Mama is such a uh, portly woman that she once jumped up and got stuck. They're really, they're very like, they're very Charlie Kaufman. Um, that doesn't make, inspired. it would be the opposite, wouldn't it? If you were so portly, you would be pulled down to earth I don't, with you know, greater force. I would, you would think so, but. There's just nothing physically logical hey, about this. There's, um, that's the dozens for you. Jordan Peele with three dozens, not three dozen dozens, because no. that would be a lot of dozens. Too many. His movie, once again, is called Get Out, and that's our dinner party for one for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, tune in for our full menu of weird news bits, cocktail recipes, and yes, more interviews with cool people. We're going to talk to Pulitzer Prize-winning author Viet Nguyen. And speaking of jokes, comedian Pete Holmes tells us it's not cool for a pal to steal yours. Even if you didn't write the joke, you're the curator of the joke. You found it. 
You memorized it. Who knows what flair you gave it, personal flair, while telling it. And now this person's just, that is a huge offense. Are you going to wear my pants next? Such anger. Uh. Hey, but good news. If your pal disobeys Pete and steals your joke anyway, you can get a new one. Mm -hmm. Just text the word ICEBREAKER to 677-677, and we will text you a probably grown-tastic gag to amaze and or upset your friends. It really works. That's ICEBREAKER to 677-677. Text message rates may apply. Have at it. Meanwhile, please know our show comes to you courtesy of senior producer Jackson Musker, associate producers James Kim and Krista Ripple, associate digital producer Christina Lopez, interns Emerald Douglas and Kathleen McGovern, Bill Lance Engineered. We'll see you next week. Bon appétit. <laughs> 